God is with us, and thank you, thank you for coming this morning, and, and thank you for those kind words. We uh, are not trying to live up to anything, because if you do, you're going to get an error. And just because you're called to an office, don't mean you abuse that office, which has been greatly done today in the body of Christ. Many people think because God's used them maybe along a certain line, uh, you know, a few times over the years, and miraculous things have happened, that they got to make that happen every time they get in a pulpit or every time they get to talk to somebody. And so that's when you get into what you call false prophets. It's things that God hadn't said, but they make them up because society demands to give us something new even though we're not walking in what we already know. (laughs) So it's good to be here with your pastors. We appreciate them and thank God for them. I believe, though, that uh, I could say this, that they were before the flood, and I came after the flood. You know? (laughs) Now, I'm not not saying that as as a a point to put them down, but I I say that about about Pastor Jerry and, and Darlene Burley, too. I say that because they're my elders in the Lord. They've been around for years, and they've got a lot of wisdom. And that's what a lot of times people don't realize, and I know you would, but especially younger ministers, if they would just learn to respect their elders, they could go a lot further in ministry and receive a lot more. So I I do receive them as my elders in the Lord, and I do believe they came before the flood, (laughs) and I came after the flood. So... We appreciate you, and I thank you for putting up with me during this series of meetings. You know, we start in the morning, two services a day, and so we're going to be up and going. You know what I mean? But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your holy written word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And today, we thank you for revelation of your word. We thank you for illustration of your word. And we thank you for impartations of the spirit of the living God that calls us to walk out what we have heard. And Father, tonight or today, this morning, Lord, I ask you to make my tongue as a pen of a ready writer, that I'll have the words to speak in due season that you've given to me, that you've shown to me, that you've revealed to me. And Father, I give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank God for his goodness and thank God for his mercy. You know, my... The minute my ministry has changed over the years, and some people don't realize that sometimes, but it's changed over the years. I used to just preach, totally preach. And, uh, and, and in my services, if you uh, go back to the times that I used to preach in some of the earlier days uh, of our ministry, that was my calling, and I walked in that. But uh, in my services then, you at least got two for one. Because I was, I'd preach so fast, and it would just roll out of me so fast that in an hour, you'd get a 120-minute sermon. <laughs> but that was just the way, it was the way the anointing was. And then Dad Hagen, as she mentioned, just really uh, picked up on that and enjoyed that and took me under his wing by direction of the Holy Ghost, you know. He don't do anything just in the natural by direction of the Holy Ghost, and he began to train me uh, for what I'm doing today. Amen. And if it wasn't for his training and impartations and his wisdom and things that he shared with me, 
I wouldn't be able to be where I'm at today. So I give credit to my elders and those that paid the price for us to be here today. So uh, my ministry's changed a little bit, and, and we thank God for what God has done. Now, she was mentioned about me escaping three times from prison. I had a pastor, I think I was up in Michigan back years ago, and he asked me one time, he said, Brother Randy, he said, why in the world did you escape from prison three times? And I said, Pastor, I said, I didn't get it right the first time. I said, I didn't get it right the second time. But I finally got it right the third time and I got away. So what I mean by that, just keep serving God till you get it right. Don't quit because you trip, because you slip. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, get up and go on. Stay on the positive side of life. Don't stay on the negative side. Yeah. That's what I teach my son yeah. and my wife. Stay on the positive side. You Amen. can get down in the mully grubs and everything's bad and we're going under, we're going to hell, the devil's taking us with him and all kind of stuff. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm going over. It don't matter what it looks like. And can God use somebody that was in prison like that? Well, let's examine that phrase. And, and, and done all those things and and uh, Brother Hagin told me back years ago to leave some of this stuff under the blood. And we have. Some of the things that I've done and things that I did. Because I used to share everything, you know. Just as a testimony, you know. Not to brag about it, but Brother Hagin talked to me one time. So just leave some of that under the blood. You, you still need to share some things, but don't share everything. And so we didn't. But so on my third escape from prison, I met Jesus Christ in Bay, Baytown. Actually, I'd come from Baytown, Texas, headed into Galveston, Texas. On Seawall Boulevard, I met Jesus Christ. I found out he was alive. And up at that time in my life, I believed that the Bible was a fairy tale book that somebody wrote to try to make me be good. And, of course, I was raised in the church, like uh, Pastor said. I was raised in a Pentecostal home. But I'd gotten so far away from God that the deception of the devil had got a hold of my brain, and I believed what the devil said. And so I didn't believe the Bible was true. I didn't believe that God wrote the book about the, the Bible or anything. And I didn't believe it applied to me. And I was rebelling against everything and everybody. But on that third escape from prison, uh, I, I met Jesus Christ. And he showed me that if I turned left to go to commit this robbery, that I was going to wind up dead and in hell. Yeah. You talking about being scared to death? Well, I was scared to life. And there is a difference. Somebody said, you ought not fear God. Well, you better go back and listen to another Bible because our Bible says you need to fear and respect God. And so he gave me an opportunity, and I knew that was my last chance because he had dealt with me years after years in mama's prayers, daddy's prayers, granny's prayers, brother's prayers, preacher's prayers, sister's prayers. And and I just kind of outrun all that stuff. But now he was calling me, you know, on the line. So anyway, I accepted him, and he called me into the ministry said, could somebody be called like that? Well, let's compare myself to another man. And, of course, I could never compare myself on an equal basis to him. But his name was the Apostle Paul. And you probably already know this, but if you didn't, his name wasn't always Paul. His name was Saul. And he was on the road to Damascus, and he was going to arrest Christians. He had an entourage, which means a group of people with him, men, to go arrest Christians so he could persecute them, torment them. And a lot of times he would have them tormented to the point that they'd be in so much pain that they would deny Jesus. But that don't mean they went to hell. Because your physical body can be drawn through a situation, you understand? And Paul would do that. 
And then he would actually testify in court. It's in your Bible. I don't know if you ever read it. It's in your Bible. He used to testify against them in a court of law himself and have them uh, actually take their life. That's what he would do. But on the road to Damascus, headed to arrest more Christians and persecute them, all of a sudden a great blinding light appeared around them. And it wasn't a light like you got in here. It was the glory of God. And that light became so bright and the power of God was so strong that all of them fell down to the ground. Everybody in Paul's uh, party, actually Saul's name then, party, they fell down to the ground. Well, I didn't have the same experience, but in this old Dodge van I was driving in in Galveston, Texas on Seawall Boulevard, the power of God came on me so strong I could only lay over the steering wheel. Because it was there. When God shows up, things are going to change. And that's the truth. So Paul fell down on the ground and he said to him, Saul, Saul, Jesus did, spoke. And only Paul heard the verse, or Saul heard the voice. The others are just down on the ground in fear. Said, why persecutest thou me? No, he's talking about. And Paul, of course, was probably thinking, what do you mean? I ain't never messed with you. But of course, what Jesus was saying, if you mess with my children, you have messed with me. And I'm not putting up with this anymore. Jesus will always vindicate you. He always will. And that's what he was going to take care of his church. So Paul fell down to the ground. And you know what happened next, don't you? The praise and worship team ran out of the bushes. And they sang a song. Remember that song they sang? Another one bit the dust. (laughs) Well, it may not be just like that in the Bible. You know what I mean? But I can assure you this. When God shows up, another one's going to bite the dust. And we're coming to a day that they're going to be singing that song a lot. In fact, it's upon us right now. But anyway, Saul... The Lord told him to go into the city, you know, and go there and he'll be told you what to do. And then, of course, he was blinded for a season because of that glory. The man laid hands on him. He received his sight and he was filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues. And he was called into the ministry and he wrote approximately, not quite, approximately three quarters of the New Testament. So that man was a murderer, but not just a murderer. Murderer of thousands upon thousands of Christians. It was because of him that they died. Can God use somebody like that? He did. He wrote approximately three quarters of the New Testament. So that's why you look at my life. Could God use somebody like me? Certainly. It's only God's mercy and God's grace that we have these things happen in our life. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning, by direction of the Lord, I'm going to talk to you about deception. Deception. This is what the Lord told me about the year 2024. Because, you know, we like, we like these kind of prophecies, and I'm for them, don't get me wrong, and I believe them too. 24 is the year for war. Yeah. Yeah. 24, we're going to slip and slide right in, and we're going to worship you. All them good prophecies, but I got another one for you. This prophecy I got you is real too. 2024 is going to be a year of great deception in the body of Christ. And if you are not prepared for it, the devil is going to deceive you. Because of that, the Lord woke me up. He woke me up on December the 30th. 
And he spoke to me. He came to me. And he spoke to me. And he said that this year of 2024 is going to be a year of great deception in the body of Christ. Not in the world, but in the church. Now it's already been there to a degree. But it's going to be a greater deception this year. And he said, because of this, he said, I want you to hold a meeting. And I want you to hold it this year about authority over demons and seducing spirits. And, of course, we had to scramble to make that happen. Of course, the Lord had been dealing with me about it for four to five years. But I didn't have the timing right. And so, actually, in Dayton, Tennessee, this year, we've already got it said, April the 30th through May the 2nd, we're going to do that seminar. And we're going to use the facility there because we didn't have time to get hotel conference rooms because sometimes we have to book these things a year out to get them. You know, because we do meetings in, in those kind of facilities. But April the 30th through May the 2nd, we're going to be in Dayton, Tennessee at Dr. Chip uh, Bolio's church and use his facilities and put our own meeting on there. And we're going to have a, a meeting there called Authority Over uh, Demons and Seducing Spirits. But the reason I'm going to do it is because the Lord told me to, not because I just wanted something to do. In fact, I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't. I didn't want to do it. I'm just doing it because the Lord told me to do it. But let me read you something that the Lord shared, told me in talking about deception. We're going to speak about that this morning. But on December, I just wrote it down because sometimes things will get away from you if you don't, you know, over time. But on December the 30th, 2023, which is this last December, I was awakened at 12.38 a.m., which would be the early morning hour of December the 31st, 2023. In other words, I went to bed on December 30th, but I was awakened at 12.38 a.m., which would be December the 31st. I heard someone knocking, like someone knocking on a door. There were four knocks in a row, knock, 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 knock. And this happened twice, back to back. It was so loud, I thought someone was knocking on the front door of my house. I woke up and was going to go to the front door. I waited a minute or two and suddenly realized I was hearing this in the spirit. See, you're hearing in the natural this morning. I'm speaking to you and you hear me and your eardrums are picking up that and they're vibrating inside and making sound. I don't know, you know how all that works, you know. I'm not a doctor. I just heard him talk about this stuff. But anyway, you're hearing me in the natural. But you can hear in the spirit just as well as you can hear in the natural. But it is as the spirit of God wills. So I realized that uh, I was hearing in the spirit. And I said, uh, loud enough, just out of my mouth where I could hear it. My wife didn't hear it. It says, Lord, is that you? The Lord spoke to me and said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. He said, I have been calling my church out of the Laodicean church age that many of my children have been overcome by. And he's talking about presently. He said, many are not ready to meet me. And they worship me in vain because I do not receive their lukewarm worship and ways. Oh, you were shouting earlier. I don't know what, I don't know what happened. 
He said, they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And then he said this to me directly. Stir yourself up and go tell them what I have said. He said, do not fear them when they accuse you of proclaiming false doctrine because you proclaim, what you proclaim per- contradicts their warm, lukewarm doctrines of devil's gospel. Warn them to turn from their wicked ways and I will be with you. Then, on the end of this, that's when he started talking to me about <clears throat> having this meeting and this seminar. We're actually having a seminar. And it's going to be a Tuesday through a Thursday, and it's going to be morning and night, Tuesday and Thursday, and I'm going to do that because the Lord instructed me to do it. But he also said during that time that this would be a year of great deception in the body of Christ. Great deception. Now, I know that God's going to take care of us. I know that we walk by faith and not by sight. But uh, I'm telling you what the Lord said. You know what I mean? And he wants us to know what's going to happen before it happens. He wants us to prepare and get ready because it won't affect you if you'll get ready for it. It won't affect you at all. It won't. And that's why the Lord, it was imperative that I do this seminar and I need to do it right away. And so I talked to one of my good pastor friends. He's been after me to come to his church, you know, because we'd done one meeting there before using his facilities. One of my good pastor friends. And I told him what the Lord had said. And he said, come on, brother Randy, come on. Let's go. Let's start today. <laughs> well, of course, we couldn't do that. We got to advertise and everything. So the year of this year will be a year of great deception. But let's start in Revelation chapter 3 since you're so excited about it. I'm not saying it won't be a year of blessing. Listen, if you obey God's word, you're going to be blessed. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's time of doom and gloom. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying the devil's going to win. I'm not saying that. He's not going to win. He's not going to win in my life. He's not going to take me over. He is not going to deceive me. Say, Brother Andy, you bragging in yourself? No, I'm bragging in the Lord. Because I know how the devil deceives. I know how he operates. The Lord anointed me on April the 5th, 1984. He anointed me to deal with the devil, demons, and all evil spirits. I wasn't asking for an anointing to do it. I wasn't asking for any kind of revelation about it. But he actually came to me supernaturally April the 5th, 1984, and called me into the ministry that I'm in today. Of course, it's been progressive. It's always progressive in God. In other words, you qualify on one level before he takes you to the next level. And I know that's an ugly word today. People want to say everybody's going to heaven. Let me tell you something. Everybody's not going to heaven. There are still qualifications to go to heaven whether you like it or not. I don't care what all them greasy grace folks have taught you. You better listen to what the Bible says. Jesus Christ appeared to Dr. Kenneth E. Hagin September the 2nd, 1950. And he said, many of my own people will turn back and will not be ready to meet me at my coming. His own people. I ain't talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. There's qualifications to go to heaven. I might talk to him and see if I can get you in. (laughs) Of course, you know I'm joking. There's the blood of Jesus. And that's what gets us in. 
But when you're born again, you know, that's what's going to bring you into the place you need to be in. Revelation chapter 3, because this is what the Lord woke me up with. It says, the angel of, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, that word angel, a lot of people get all, it just means messenger. Yeah. Yeah. The messenger to that church. Who's ever going to give that message to the church? He said, write this to that messenger. That's what that actually means, you know. He said, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Jesus Christ talking in the first person. You understand that? And now he's talking to who? He's taking to the, talking to the Laodicean church. So who is Jesus talking to? Now, how do we know that? The Bible says so. In other words, I'm not making this up. And the reason I point this out, he is talking to, can I go a step further? Christians. He's not talking to a sinner. He's talking about somebody. He's not talking to people that don't know him. He's not talking about people that's living in the world. He's, talk, he's not talking about people that's never confessed him as Lord and Savior. He's talking about people that has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord as their Savior. He's talking to the Laodicean church Christians. That's what he's talking to. So you, that's where you get the most impact of this when you understand who he's talking to. And so that means that anything that Jesus says, though, applies to anybody in any generation. So what he said here to the Laodicean church is just as good for us in this church or any other church in the world today. It's still applicable. But do you realize, these? if you read Revelations chapters 2 and chapter 3, they were seven messages that Jesus preached, and you will rarely, if ever, hear anything from those messages in the church world. Because the messages that Jesus preached contradict most of what's being preached in most churches today. Thank you for getting excited. Don't run. Don't run. And I'm not saying every church and everything. But if, if Jesus said something, and if Jesus preached something, do you think it would be important? Do you think we should pay attention to it? See, what Jesus said in Revelations 2 and 3 surpasses anything that anybody said anywhere in the Bible. It's just as important, if not more important. And what, what you have, you have seven sermons to seven different churches that Jesus preached. But with his sermons, in, in, to get it down and broke down in bite-sized pieces, these are summaries of his sermons. Because he could have said a whole lot more, but he got, you got the import of what he was saying by reading a summary to the seven churches. So there's seven messages. So now before I, I get after the church, let me talk about you. When is the last time that you have read Revelations 2 and 3? I know that you're going to do it soon. <laughs> and you're going to read it. And you're going to study it. You're going to meditate on it. And you're going to see how it applies to you. Because it's Jesus talking to you. It's Jesus. Just as if he was standing there preaching to you. Seven different sermons that he preached. You come to hear me. 
here, but would you come to hear Jesus? No, I don't want to hear Jesus because he's going to get on to me. <laughs> and he did. He did. So those seven sermons are very, very, very important. You go back and you read it. They're applicable to us today. Everything Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, it encompasses seven different sermons. Those seven sermons, again, all of them are in a summary format. It is not everything he said, but it's what he wanted us to know. And that's why it's listed in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And it's just as important or more important than anything that anybody said in the Bible. It's Jesus Christ himself that said it. So I know that you just can't wait to make a study of those seven messages, that sermons that Jesus Christ spoke. And it's recorded for us. I knew you'd get excited about it. He said here in verse 15, I know thy works. I'm going to give you an assignment. I always give homework assignments. Now, Brother Hagin, you say it this way. I I don't know. I'll just follow him. If you can't write in your Bible, throw it away and get one you can. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to go through Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, I've got the King James 1611 edition Bible. You know what I mean? And you could read all kind of one, but you'd get the most import as far as getting the word. I want you to look for one word, and I want you to circle it. The word works. Uh Work or works. Because that is a word that is despised by the modern day church today. Jesus just said right here, I know thy works. I'm paying attention to what you do and how you act and what you say and how you dress and where you go. (laughs) That's works. That's actions. But the modern day church don't want that. But you just go through all seven sermons and circle the word work or works that Jesus said. That's a homework assignment for you. And you'll find out that he is concerned about our works. Now, there's one thing about Jesus. He'll give us homework assignments and then help us work them. He don't expect you to do it by yourself. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. You can't do it. You've got to have the help of the spirit of the living God inside of you. And depend on him. But I believe you'll find that word works about 12 times in seven sermons. But you can look it up later. You just go see for yourself later. And and when you're studying those sermons and and reading them. And now probably before you get through maybe a couple of them, you're probably going to be underneath the table. (laughs) Hiding. Saying, oh my God. Oh my Lord. Did he really say that? Oh my Lord. Because it sounds a lot different than the modern day sermons you hear today. But you hear the sermons of Jesus. That's what's important. Amen. Amen. So he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. In other words, what he's saying is, you are backslid. So then because thou art lukewarm, verse 16, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. 
What does that mean? I want to get away from you as quick as I can, and I want you out of my sight. That's what he's saying. I want you out of my sight right now. I'm not putting up with you no more. But Jesus loves us. I know he loves you. But he's trying to save you from going to hell. That's what he's trying to do. Because he knows there's a real devil if you dabble out in that world long enough and in that lukewarm state long enough that'll talk you out of your Christianity. He said, Brother Randy, I thought once saved, always saved. You're, somebody lied to you. This is how it works. Once saved, always saved, if you stay saved. Can I tell you the country way? If you look like the devil, you walk like the devil, you smoke, smoke, smell like the devil, and you wiggle like the devil, you is the devil. And that's all the going through to it. That's a good country way. You is the devil. You lying to yourself if you say anything else or anybody else tells you anything. <laughs> We're supposed to be made in the image of God, not in the image of the devil. And if you got the image of the devil in your life, you're in trouble. He said, uh, he said, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. That means I want you away from me, out of my sight. Right now, get away from me. That's what, he, he's, say, he's, that's what he's saying. Let the Holy Ghost talk to you in here. Why? why? Why is that happening? Why is he upset? Why does he want him out of his sight? Why does he want him away from you? Verse 17 tells you why. Because you say, talking to the individual, the Christian, I am rich. And I'm increased with goods. And I have need of nothing. And you know not that you are low down, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked, sorry, no good thing. I better go back and look at the church. I'm in the right church. I mean, but that's it. Listen, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said this. Not me. I might have added a few adjectives in there. <laughs> but you don't have to believe what I said. Just read what he said. He said, you're wretched. He said, you're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. Who's he talking to? Christian. He's talking to the Christian. He's talking to the saints that ain't. <laughs> He's talking to the saints that ain't. They think they're saints, but they ain't. May not be good English, but it's good understanding. Say, <laughs> so, well, Jesus is coming. If he's coming, we need to act like it. He said, I counsel thee. You know what that means? I'm giving you some advice. Now, if Jesus was sitting here going to give you some advice... Would you pay attention to it? And then if you heard that advice, would you apply it to your life? I think we should. So because he couldn't actually be here where you could see him this morning, he sent me to tell you this. <laughs> I'm just standing in for him by proxy. We used to say in old time Pentecost. <laughs> he said, I count you. In other words, I'm about to give you some wise advice. He said, buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. White raiment, thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And the, anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. Notice what he's saying here. Get your life right with God. Listen, 
if you're living in, in a lifestyle that you know that's not pleasing to God, nobody has to tell you. You already know it. If you got things in your life that you know shouldn't be there, nobody has to tell you. The Spirit of God inside of you would tell you. Just make adjustments. That's what He's telling you. Throw all that stuff away that would hinder you. Get it out of your life and come on. Live with me. Now you talk about if you love people, you know, you won't correct them or do anything. But look at what it says here. Verse 19. He said, as many as I love, what do I do? I rebuke and chasten. In other words, if somebody truly loves you, they're going to tell you the truth and correct you. Why? Because they want you to spend eternity in heaven with God. Not go to hell for eternity. And you say, well, you hurt my feelings. It says here, as many as I love, I what? Rebuke. Straighten up there. Now, what are you doing? What are you acting like that for? Get your life straight. What do you scoundrel, you? You low down thing. You, you know better than that. What are you doing? Rebuking. And chasing. He might grab you and hold you out at arm's length, slap you two or three. And I'm just joking. I am joking. He chastens us. Why? Because he loves us. Look at this right here. He said, if any man, you know, he talked to me about this on December 30th and 31st. If any man, which means person that has accepted the Lord as their Savior, hear my voice and open the door. In other words, the door opening starts with you and me. The Lord will never force himself into your life. You have to make a choice to commune with the Lord. If any man, any man hear my voice and open the door, I will, I will, means that is an absolute guarantee that better than Maytag can give you. Amen. Amen. A Chevrolet, Ford, Dodge, Brinklin. You, you ever had a Brinklin car? I used to drive one in with my heathen days. Brinklin. Brinklin car. Doors that go up like this and go back down and all that kind of stuff. In my heathen days, you know, I think she was saying legal money. You know, <laughs> you had to give you legal money. <laughs> well, uh, I'll take you legal money. We'll sanctify it after we get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but back in those days, uh, you know, there's all, but anyway, all these, you know, manufacturers, you know, you want to go, you go buy the washing machine, the Frigidaire or whatever, you know, there's a brand named Frigidaire and, uh, did they still make Maytag washer and dryers? You know, they got uh, in my city there where I live. There's a big factory called Whirlpool, and there they make the majority of the gas stoves that go throughout throughout the United States of America, and maybe even some to other countries. But they got them as giant factory. In fact, they they increased so much they had to build another giant factory. And I live not far from this in Owasso, Oklahoma. It says what is Owasso? And you want to know what that means, right? Well, okay, I'll tell you. I know you come to church to learn this. I lived in Broken Air, Oklahoma. And the Lord spoke to me. On a Sunday morning, I was sitting in a recliner. And I was studying the Word. And He said, I release you from the responsibilities that I originally called you for. Because those 
that were supposed to work with you and you were supposed to assist them are not going to obey me. So I'm releasing you. And because now that I'm releasing you, he said, uh, you need to move your home. And I said, Lord, where do I go? He said, go to Owasso. What in the world is an Owasso? You know what I mean? What is an Owasso? Well, I discovered I got my map right quick and looked, and that's on the north side of Tulsa. There's a little city there called Owasso, O-W-A-S-S-O. In fact, from my home to the Tulsa International Airport, you could be there in 20 minutes or less based on traffic. So it's on the north side of Tulsa, but it's, uh, you don't know. If you don't live there local, you don't know when you're in one city limits and the other, you know. And I, ha- I actually have offices there in Owasso. But this is the thing that got me about Owasso. Do you know what Owasso means? I had to look it up to find it out. Why does God want to put Owasso? Owasso means turnaround. Wow. That's what it means, turnaround. And the way that name came about is, you know where Kansas City is at? There used to be a railroad line back years ago, and they brought cattle. They hauled mostly cattle. And they would go to Oklahoma because Oklahoma's a large uh, ranch area. And one of the reasons that it's a ranch area, just from my opinion, is there's so many doggone rocks. It's hard to farm in certain parts. But the ground is good for, for some grasses and everything, and you can raise horses, lots of horses, lots of cows, even sheep and goat and things like that. But anyway, they used to have a train that come from Kansas City. It would come down and bring certain goods, and it would pick up loads and loads, thousands of cattle, and it would turn around, and it would go back to Kansas City. So the track ended in Owasso, so they actually had to turn the train around and they go back to uh, uh, Kansas City. So Owasso means turnaround. Wow. <laughs> it's time that some of y'all move to Owasso <laughs> and have a turnaround. It's amazing. You know, also, you know that uh, uh, Oklahoma. Interesting thoughts about it. it was one of the last uh, states to become a state. It was an Indian territory because the, the Trail of Tears, it started over in the eastern coast, and uh, I grew up in Georgia. All right, I was born in Muskogee County, Georgia. I only live a few miles from Muskogee County, Oklahoma. I lived in Georgia a few miles from a city called Coweta. I used to live a few miles in Broken Arrow from a city called Coweta. I used to fish in Eufaula, Alabama on Lake Eufaula. Lake Eufaula is right there in Oklahoma just south of Tulsa. So the names that the Indians, Native Americans, brought from there came to here. In fact, I have a Cherokee Indian that works for me in our ministry and he is a, what they call an air, airframe and power plant mechanic. He's also an inspection authorized uh, mechanic. And he's also a commercial pilot and a wonderful pilot and wonderful mechanic. He works for me. But he's of the Cherokee tribe. He's a Cherokee. And when they were brought into Oklahoma to the Trail of Tears, 
what happened, you, you know, you had to sign up on a roll. You had to agree to the governmental authority, and some didn't. But all those that did, they gave them about 150, 200 acres each. But over time, what happened is a lot of the Indians, because they were so poor, actually sold their property to the white man that speaks with fork and tongue. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah. You're right about that one. <laughs> that speaks with fork and tongue. Because I, t- I call him Captain Chris. I said, why do you call him Captain Chris? Do you want to know that story? I mean, it'll save you a little bruising, you know. I'll take a few minutes here to go to tell you Captain Chris. Well, Captain Chris and I were in the, when was it? What years? Last, last fall. We were in the Tampa, Florida area, just right outside of Tampa International Airport. And we were going to what you call re- recurrent training in our Cessna 421C aircraft. That's where they put you inside of a simulator that simulates aircraft, looks like the aircraft, and, and they put you through all kinds. They set it on fire. They try to blow it up. They try to throw the wings off of it and just see if you can still hang on. And, and they teach you to fly the airplane under all conditions and circumstances, engine failures, whatever. And so after we'd done all our training and passed that with flying colors, you know, then the, the sim instructor, sim, simulator instructor, <clears throat> said, was anything you guys want to do? He said, you got time. He said, y'all passed a record time of, of you know, meeting all the conditions and, and flying the airplane correctly and doing all the maneuvers, <clears throat> instrument approaches down to minimums, a lot, lot of stuff. And so oh, uh, Captain Chris, he said, uh, <clears throat> he said, let's do some zero, zero. In other words, zero, zero takeoffs. That means you can't see anything except just a little bit in front of the airplane. And so what you do is you taxi out there. Of course, we don't have to taxi in the simulator. They can just hit a button and put you on the runway. But you can't see anything. And he tells him in advance. The simulator instructor tells Captain Chris. I'm telling you how he got the name Captain Chris. He says, now, Captain Chris, he said, I'm going to fail an engine on you, zero, zero. And he said, you need to maintain direction control, maintain heading, and climb up through this layer of clouds because maybe 1,000, 2,000 feet up, it's bright and sunny. But you got to get through that, you know. So all of a sudden, we take off down this runway, and I'm the pilot that's monitoring everything, and all of a sudden, we lift off the ground, barely, barely got off the ground. By this time, you got to fly. There's a place on the runway that uh, you got to fly because you can't stop. So anyway... Uh, the, the next thing I know, when the engine failed, because I seen it rolling back, and he reached over to a full feather, that particular engine, because you got two of them over there called full feather. Well, the next thing you know, I heard this boom, bang, boom, bang. And I thought, everything got quiet, you know? And I turned to the sim instructor, and I said, uh, what happened? He said, oh, Captain Chris there, Lost directional control, and y'all are upside down on the side road. <laughs> so that's how we got the name Captain Chris. But he's an excellent pilot. In fact, it happened so quick, and the reason we were doing that is just to see what would happen. You know, simulated circumstances. 
and so you learn from that experience. So next time that it happens, we know exactly what to do. You don't do anything. The pilot monitoring should be shutting down the engine in zero, zero. Not the pilot flying, which he was a pilot flying. Because you've got to concentrate on those instruments if you're going to stay alive. Because the good engine, if you don't maintain directional control in that aircraft, the good engine will flip that airplane upside down. And that's exactly what happened. And I could reach out and touch the grass and wave at the cows, you know. <laughs> so now you know why he got the name Captain Chris. Now I've done soothed you over and poured some oil on the wounds. But let's go at it again. Amen. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, I'm trying to get your attention. That's what it means. I'm trying to get your attention. I am. If he says he's trying to get your attention, he's not lying about it. If any man hear my voice, which means you've got to want to hear the voice of God. Otherwise, Everybody could hear it. But he said, if any man hear my voice, you've got to want to hear it. And open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, he said, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So who is he talking to? The church is, plural, not just the Laodiceans. Everybody. It's applicable to everybody. So your homework assignment, I'm going to throw this one in too. I didn't give you this to start with. I just told you you should do it, but this is assignment. Not only you got to circle the word works, I want you to circle the word overcometh or overcomes. And then, the third thing, I want you to read these, Revelations 2 and 3. Read the sermons of Jesus and study them. And meditate on them. You, you know, you can read the Bible for information. That's what you read it for, for information. But you meditate on it for revelation. There's a difference. We need to read the Bible for information about knowing what's in it. But just because you know what's in it, don't mean you have revelation of it. So how do you know? Let me tell you a true story. Are you sure? Can I tell a true story? I'll tell you a true story about that meaning. Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan, Dad Hagan uh, was there in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Broken Bow population back then, uh, uh, probably it was 1952, December of 1952. So population back then, because the last time I was there, which is a few years back, it was a population of 1,800. So you could imagine the population then might have been 100. Yeah. Might have been 180, you know. Yeah. Had a little railroad track. Y'all remember that railroad track that comes out of Texas? You know, it goes up through Oklahoma and it goes back down through there. Well, that runs right through Broken Bow. Broken Bow is down in the southeastern corner of uh, the state of Oklahoma. In other words, Texas, Louisiana even gets close over there. But then you got Arkansas and all that. And it's kind of in Oklahoma all coming together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, you know, the Kaimanchi Mountains in Oklahoma are just north of there. Y'all remember that? And that's where Bigfoot lives. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, that got him on doggone video. That got him on video running across the top of a hill. 
in the Kaimanji Mountains. See, Brother Randy, no, he's in my backyard. You know why? Because he's got frequent flyer miles and he can get around pretty good. <laughs> but now let me tell you something. We're kind of jesting about it. But the Cherokee Indians and most Indians, they don't joke about it. A lot of them have seen these things. But they believe that they go in and out of what we call the spirit. I've had him working, not this, not the Cherokee I got. He's born again. In fact, he'll be at Church on the Move this morning. That's where he goes. Cool. Brother Willie George, that's, he goes because he lives up that way. Okay. But that, that's where he goes to church at. The church that Brother Willie George started years ago. But anyway, they believe in these things. In fact, I remember I had a Cherokee doing some sheetrock work for me in, in my hangar. We built facilities inside there because it's a big old hangar. And... Uh, and he actually, we got to talking about it, you know. And I was just listening to him. And he said, you know, he said, my grandmama, and he was serious. I mean, he, you know, his grandma wouldn't lie about it. <clears throat> he said, which was a full-blooded Cherokee. He said, you know, we lived down there in the bottoms of the river back down in the swamps. He said, one of these things come up and touch my granny on the shoulder. She said, it turned around, she turned around and it scared her so. And she screamed and this thing come, took, took off. But said, this thing actually touched my granny. He said, I'll tell you something else. He said, if you won't laugh. I said, what? I ain't going to laugh. He said, I've got recordings of these things hollering out in my granny's backyard. I said, where? He said, on my phone. I said, play them. And he played them things. I mean, you make your hair stand up on your head. You know what I mean? Is that him coming in the door back there? <laughs> She said she doubts it. So anyway, how'd y'all get me off that? I was trying to get you down there in Broken Bow, and y'all take me up there in the Kaimanji Mountains, and you get me looking for Bigfoot, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, I got to put a little salve on you. You know what I mean? Before I hit you between the eyes again, you know. But uh, there in Broken Bow, I'm talking about the fact that you can have knowledge or information of the Bible, but not have revelation of the Bible. And that's what the problem in, in much of the church world, not all of it, but much of the church world, as people preach informational messages instead of revelational messages. And there's a difference between information and revelation. Any of you, anybody here, I mean, if you don't get frightened, could get up and do a, a public uh, speaking on the Bible. But it may be like when I went to Bible school, we had to preach a sermon, and one of the girls got up and fainted. <laughs> and I said, Sister, just claim that you're slain in the spirit, and the power was so great. <laughs> because she had a fear of public speaking. You know what I mean? But, but anybody that, that, that could want to, you could actually take a chapter or, or five or six verses in the Bible and read it and get information and get up and give a little speech on it. That would be giving me Bible information. But there's a difference between taking those same scriptures and giving me information from them and giving me revelation from them. If you'll recall this morning, and I say this as politely and kindly and humbly as I can, you've been getting revelations out of the Laodicean church. Maybe even things you've never saw before. But I didn't come up with it. It's the revelation spirit of God. So Brother Hagin was there in December of 1952. And when this pastor was in the kitchen, I ain't going to tell the whole story, and knelt down to pray, 
And all of a sudden, when Brother Hagin knelt down, a glory cloud appeared, and all the furniture disappeared, the stove disappeared, everything. Pastor, he didn't even know he was in a world with anybody but him. And he looked up where the ceiling would be. He said, don't know why. And this glory he was in, like a cloud, and there stood Jesus. And Jesus said, I've come to teach you about devils, demons, and evil spirits, and how they will even get a hold of Christians if Christians allow them to. He said they'll get a hold to them if they allow them to. And so, uh, yes. And so also, he went to showing Brother Hagin this in the Bible and, and then showing him visions about it and things like that. And then Brother Hagin just spoke up and said to the Lord, after a period of time, I'm going to tell the whole story. I'm just trying to get to make this point. The Lord said to him, uh, Jesus, he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, he said, I can't accept this revelation. Even though I see you just as real as I've ever seen anybody standing here talking to me. And he said, I can't accept this revelation unless you can give me three, uh, two or three witnesses in the Bible, scriptures to prove to me it's true. He said, I'll go you one better. He said, I'll give you four witnesses in the New Testament. What I'm telling you is the truth. He said, Brother Hagin said he was always known to be able to open his mouth and put his foot in it. That's a good colloquial expression for city folks. You know what I mean? So he spoke right up, you know. He said, Dear Lord Jesus. He said, I've read the New Testament through over 150 times and portions of it more than that. And he said, if there's anything in there like you saying, he said, I sure don't know it. Jesus looked at him, smiled sweetly, and said to him, son, there's a lot of things in there that you don't know. Brother Hagin had information, but he didn't have the revelation. So Jesus brought him the revelation, and at that time, by Dad Hagen's own testimony, he could quote approximately three-quarters of the New Testament. When he got born again, he was gifted with a supernatural recall ability. And so he could, uh, he could recall and quote approximately three-quarters of the New Testament. But just because you can quote it, we need to learn scriptures. We need to memorize scriptures. But more so than that, we need revelation of what the Bible says. Isn't that right? So there's a difference between information and revelation. Isn't that right? So you're going to read this and study this. The seven messages that Jesus preached. He's going to be preaching them to you. Put yourself there in the first person like he's talking to you. Because he said, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church is. Are to the Christians, everybody. In other words, it just don't apply to the Laodiceans or the Church of Smyrna. It applies to all of us. So there's seven sermons. In summary, there's seven summaries of seven sermons that Jesus preached. Don't you think they're important? But again, when's the last time most people read them? I'm not belittling nobody at all. I'm not belittling anybody or attacking anybody or nothing. But it just seemed like it should be important. If Jesus said it, wouldn't Amen. it be important Amen. to do that? Now, I hadn't even got to my sermon yet. <laughs> but that's why we have an extended meetings, you know? You know? So I, I'm not going to keep you so long that your chicken burns, you know, or anything like that. Are you, whatever. Or your fish gets too fried, gets hard, you know? And I don't want God to send Moses and Aaron down here and say, let my people go. Because <laughs> he could do that. But at least we could get started in it, right? Because remember, we're going to be we're in the morning. Remember, we're coming back in the morning. 
And then we're going to start off with six services. Oh, boy, it's going to be a humdinger. I mean, that'd be a good time to call into the office and tell them you're healed and well, and I want to go to church. <laughs> Not call in sick, you know what I mean? But you do what you're supposed to do. If you've already committed to do something and you work for somebody, you do what you committed to do. So I'm not, don't, don't go sideways. Now, remember we started off talking about deception. Well, one of the things of deception is that many today don't believe the words of Jesus are important. In fact, many discount what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not all, but you'd be surprised at the modern day church. How they think it's not applicable, they don't apply. And there are some things where Jesus was talking just to the Jews. But it don't matter what he said anywhere, anytime. The principles that he taught is applicable to all of us. All of us. And the book of Revelations where he taught this here. And in Revelations 2 and 3, it's just as applicable today. So one of the deceptions is that people think the words of Jesus are not important, and they're just as important as the time he spoke them. So remember he said to me in 2024, it would be a year of great deception in the church. Now only to those that don't apply for it and get ready for it. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, we'll just get started in this, and then we'll come back. The Lord leading us. We're going to follow the Holy Ghost in this meeting. But all of us lay in a good foundation. That's what it does. Amen. Even the little stories I tell you, get something out of them too. Amen. How would you have ever known that a wasso means turn around if you didn't come here? How'd you know you need to move to a wasso? So I, now I know all of y'all are going to change y'all's address today. <laughs> yeah, and so he had me move to a wasso. Turn around. And it was a turnaround in my life. It was. A turnaround. It was. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if that's what I said, and then we're going to read this verse. Remember, we're talking about deception. This is a year of great deception to the church world. The enemy's going, what I mean is the enemy's going to try to deceive the church on a greater level, greater degree than he ever has before, but he's not going to be able to if we do what the Word says. But look here at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. In other words, you need to pay attention to what this about to be said. That's what it's talking about. You need to pay attention uh, to what's being said. Because it's not the Apostle Paul speaking. This is the Spirit of God speaking through Paul. And he said, he speaks expression. In other words, listen up. Pay attention. That in the latter times, what will happen? Some shall depart, what? From the faith, giving what? Heed, or paying attention to... Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now let's go ahead and solve this problem right here. Because some say, well, this doesn't apply to Christians. It don't apply. It applies to those. The modern church. It's amazing how they twist this. But let's look at this. He said, some shall depart from the faith. You can't depart from somewhere that you're not already at. You're here in this building this morning, but, and you're going to be able to depart, but only because you're here. So this is talking about some shall depart from the faith. He's talking about those that are already in the faith. He's talking about those that are born again. He's talking about to New Testament Christians. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking to. 
He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to those that don't know God. He's talking to those that have been born again. And he said here, that some shall depart from the faith. How will they depart? Giving heed, which means they paying attention to, listening to the wrong things. What are they listening to? They're listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're listening to what? They're paying attention to what? Two things. Seducing spirits and what else? Doctrines of devils. How do you know? How do you know? The Bible says so. I'm not making it up. You can't fail my test. They're open book. You know what I mean? They're open book test. So it says there they give it, paying attention to, listening to, giving heed to, so what? Seducing spirits and what else? Doctrines of devils. How do you know? Bible says so. Always ask, what does the Bible say? Always ask. Don't take what I say. Don't take what anybody else says. You take what the Bible says. And then let's examine this thought. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He said, they're paying attention to. Listen, that's how you're going to depart from the faith. You pay attention to things. You listen to these things. So now what you're doing is you're looking, looking for those seducing spirits. So you're waiting for that demon to come hopping up there with a pitchfork in his hand, you know, and his long tail and his horns sticking up on his head and fire shooting out of him, you know. I see you, buddy. And doctrines of devils, and you're looking for some kind of evil, monkey-like little creature that's got horns growing all out of him, you know, and he's, he's coming to get you. Uh, that's, that's him right there. That's no. No, no, no. How do seducing spirits and doctrines of devils operate? The Bible says that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. If he didn't, you wouldn't listen to him. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. He's a liar. He's a conniver. He's a cheater. He has to get you to believe that what he's saying is innocent, honest, and true. He's got to talk you into it. And if he come looking like something I described earlier, you wouldn't pay no attention to him. So, how do seducing spirits and doctors of devils come to us today? How are people seduced by these things? Tricked by these things? This is what the Lord taught me. Are you ready? The number one way that people are seduced by demonic spirits and tricked by demonic spirits and deceived by demonic spirits, the number one way, the number one above all else, is through someone else that's already seduced by it. And usually it is somebody that's very popular, has a big voice, and usually has a worldwide audience. Because if the enemy wants to deceive somebody and trick somebody... I mean, if he just tricks me that knows nobody, how am I going to help somebody? I mean, trick, deceive. So he's going to try to get right. the one on the, uh, on the high list up here, up here, higher that's got the big voice and the big platform that can uh, affect a lot of people, yeah. and he's going to go to them, yes. and he's going to seduce them and deceive them. Yeah. And there's ways he does that. We'll get into that during this meeting, but we're not going to cover that now. We'll talk about that, how he gets them. I mean, people that were once serving God, how does he get them? But the number one way that a spirit tries to seduce you and trick you, 
Number one, above all else, is through someone else that's already deceived by it. And it's usually going to be somebody that's very credible, very likable. They're not going to have horns on their head or anything like that. They're going to be smooth talking. And and listen, they're going to believe that what they're saying is the truth. And they're going to tell you that I'm telling you this because I love you. You know what I mean? But if it does not agree with the Bible, what does the Bible say? That's the bottom line. If they don't agree with the Bible, I don't care how smooth talking they are, how important they are, how big an audience they got, it don't matter how big a television ministry they got, no matter how worldwide they are, it does not matter. If it doesn't agree with the Bible, you're not to receive it. So the number one way is through someone that's already seduced by a a spirit. That's the number one way. And then the number two way, if he can't get you through them, then he'll work on you. He'll come to you. He'll start having you question things in the Bible. Well, so-and-so prayed for that and it worked. It must not have been the will of God. Well, if it says it's the will of God in the Bible, it is the will of God. That's right. Like one time I was casting out a devil. First time I ever cast out a devil. And this person was totally demon possessed. Out of about five demons, only one possesses a person. I don't know if we'll get to that or not. We'll do it in our seminar. Only one demon possesses a person, but when a person is possessed, then other spirits can come and tag around and hang around that person's life. But I remember I was co- commanding this demon to come out of this person before. And uh, <clears throat> back, on, back in the under years... Years ago, back in 1984, I was commanding a devil to come out. And this demon spoke up through this man that was demon-possessed. And this demon says, I'm a controlling authority over this location. You don't have the power to cast me out. You'll have to come back when you get the power because you don't have it. And I'll tell you, I believed it because I didn't know any better. I believed, I thought, well, wait, this thing's a snarling and a spitting and a carrying on. I, I believe it. And I was going to tell the boys that was with me, because there was two other guys, Dixon and Charlie, and I was going to tell them, let's get out of here, Jack. We'll come back when he get that power he's talking about. <laughs> but thank God for the Holy Ghost. And right up inside of me, right up inside of me, rose up just like this, and he said, he's lying to you. He's the father of lies. He's lying to you. He's the father of lies. Oh, and you talking about a boldness. A boldness came on me. I mean, I scattered parts everywhere under the anointing of God. And them demons came out of him. He was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and was speaking in other tongues in less than 30 minutes. Woo! (laughs) But I went for it because I didn't know any better to start with. So thank God. So the devil tried to come and seduce me. Tried to get me to believe the Bible says I I have authority to cast out devils in Jesus' name. He tried to get me not to believe that. Well, I did. And you do too. So the number one way the devil's going to try to seduce you is through what? Through someone that's already seduced by it. Number two, how the devil's going to try to seduce you? He's going to try to come to you individually. And talk you, and I can, I'll tell you as we go along in this meeting, we'll tell you how those things work. Now, let me say this in closing, because I'll just unhook from here. Because if I, if, I, if I feel the trough too full and you get too fat in this service, you'll get full and you won't come back. That's right. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> because, you, believe it or not, your presence helps us all get in the Spirit. Everybody has a supply. We do. I'm not doing this by myself. Yes, I have an anointing, but all of our anointings put together corporately, it, it helps us. And plus, the time. You know, I, y'all got to be sharing, you know, Indian stories, Bigfoot stories, and Kaimanchi Mountain stories, and all that, you know. Yeah. But we used to have an instructor, Doc Horton, Reverend Doc Horton, we called him Doc Horton, in, in school, he loved, he loved to eat catfish and go fishing and all that stuff. He was an older Church of God preacher that got saved and come under Brother Hagin, you know, what good buddies, best buddies with him. In fact, when Brother Hagin went to heaven, he was there with him. That's how good buddies he are. But, but he just loved to tell stories about fishing and hunting, and, and us boys, we knew that. So we'd get him to telling stories during class, and the class wouldn't be 50 minutes long. And so by the time the bell rang, he ain't shared nothing. He shared catfish stories and all that. So when test day come at the end of the quarter to take our test, he just have to call out the answers and give them to us. <laughs> I wouldn't say we was right, but we had the wisdom. We knew how to work it, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> of course, we got some because he'd get to preaching. He called it fat fighting bees, you know. But he'd get to preaching and carrying on and stuff like that. But God is on our side. I don't want you to leave here this morning afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of him whatsoever. Don't be afraid you're going to be deceived. Don't be afraid that the devil's going to take you over or the devil's going to come against you and win because he's not going to do it. He may come out against you one way, but the Bible says he's going to flee before you seven ways. Isn't that right? So don't be discouraged. You be encouraged. These things I'm sharing, we're not trying to get you to become demon conscious and devil kooky. At all. We're trying to put your mind on Jesus and the authority that you have over the devil and you got him and you can put him in his place. And regardless of what the enemy has tried to do against you in your life, we're going to put a stop to it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Or you are you excited today? Amen. Well, I'd say we got off to a, a pretty good start. here. You know what I mean this morning? And uh, we got some things, some ground covered. But we're just going to unhook from right here. Says, where'd you learn that from? Dad Hagen. Yes. Brother Hagen said his sermons are like boxcars, yeah. like train cars. Yeah. He just never unhook. He'd just go back to the next service and he'd hook up where he was at yeah. to the next yeah. car and he'd just take off. Yeah. Said, how do you do that? I'll tell you later. But I know how to do it. He taught me how to do it. Yeah. How to hook up to the anointing from a last service to go on if that's the way the Lord wants to go. Yeah. We can do it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the spirit of the living God. And we thank you for your anointing that's here with us right now. And we thank you for what you allowed us to see, to share, and understand. And we give you the glory for it all. With heads bowed, if you hear, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we've been talking about it. We didn't just basically talk about salvation. But we know if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord with your mouth and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you're not saved. And that's the truth about it. Because that's what the Bible says. If you're here this morning and you'd like for me to pray with you to be saved, to be what you call born again. That's all inclusive words, saved and born again. If you'd like for us to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. Not only myself, but people here at the church would be glad to do it. And if that's you, just raise your hand where I can see it. Anybody, anywhere. I just want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Or number two, you say, Brother Randy, I walked with the Lord, but I hadn't lived just like I should. And I want to rededicate, reconsecrate my life to God today, if that's you. 
Just raise your hand where I can see it. We're going to pray for you. Anybody, anywhere. Glory to God. Yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But also, if you hear this morning, and you've been encountering opposition that's been coming against you. I'm talking about sometimes it's mental oppression can be heavy on people. And it don't mean that you've been doing wrong or you're a bad person or anything, but this stuff can come against you, and I sense that there's people here that's been dealing with that. And we want to pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand where you're at. I see hands going up. And this is what I want you to do. You can open your eyes, look at me, stand to your feet. And then you can, uh, you can step out where you're at. Everybody can stand to your feet. And then step out where you're at if you raise your hand for prayer and just line up here shoulder to shoulder, side by side. The ushers will assist you. <clears throat> just line up shoulder to shoulder, side by side. They'll assist you. We're going to pray. We're just going to break these things in the name of Jesus. Remember, you've got authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He gave unto us the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Amen? Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God is good. Isn't that right? And His mercy endures. God don't want you to go through no torment. He don't want you to go through attacks. And so we just believe this morning when, when I lay my hands upon you, the power of God is just going to work in your behalf. Amen? Amen. That's right. You just claim it and take it with you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, we take it right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. We just take it right now. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We take it right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just take this victory. Take this victory. Remember, notice I'm not even telling the believe he's got to leave when I say that he's got to leave in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus all the opposition that you may have encountered it's got to go in the name of the Lord Jesus it's got to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord we take this victory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we take this victory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord we take this victory right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we take this victory right now in the name of Jesus knows we're taking it we're taking it. You've got to open the door to victory. The Lord don't force it on you. Just take this victory right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just take this victory right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just take authority over this region and every person under the sound of my voice. And I bind every evil work in the name of Jesus. And I command you in Jesus' name to take your hands off of this church. Take your hands off of this community. Take your hands off this city. Take your hands off this region. Because I bind you right now in the name of Jesus. For it is written, whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So Father, I loosen the power of God, the angels of God to come and assist to bring your will to pass in this area. And we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank God. Thank you for coming. I've preached myself happy. I'm going to turn it to Pastor. She may want to preach a while.